Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Arsenal Beat, the only podcast which brings together journalists and reporters who cover Arsenal on a regular basis. I'm Mark Manbrines from PA Media, and I'm joined today by the standard Simon Collings and Sam Dean of The Telegraph, who not only already has his hat-trick ball for podcast appearances this season, but pretty much demanded to come on and discuss Arsenal's newest signing. Um, Simon will be taking part in our new quiz later on, but first, let's get down to the business. Guys, the three of us were all on Mikel's press conference just a couple of hours ago, actually. But before the club, before the press conference, even the club announced the signing, the permanent arrival of Martin Odegaard. It's a strange one, Sam, this, isn't it? Because when he, when he arrived last January, there was a lot of fanfare around it. But this time, some, some fans didn't seem happy, did they? Especially those on Twitter. Yeah, it's always hard to know how much a reflection the Twitter fan base is of the real fan base and the, the, the match day fan base. I think in this particular example, a lot of Arsenal fans are very pro Odegaard and will be very pro Odegaard. And he should get a very good reception. I remember he got an extremely good reception from the 10,000 fans at Brighton on the last game of the season last year when he was superb that day. I think he he got the assist for Pepe's goal in the second half, for example, and was just generally a class above, which was not the first time he'd done that in that six-month loan spell. So I think the reaction's good. But yeah, it does seem, certainly in certain social media circles, that because he's not shiny and new, um, because he's already played for Arsenal, he's therefore, in people's minds, instantly inferior to someone like James Madison, for example, who was also linked and definitely looked at by Arsenal. But I mean, for me, it's an extremely exciting signing. 22 years old, already knows the system, clearly likes Arteta and Arteta clearly loves him and he's got a lot of room to grow and that's exactly the sort of player that Arsenal should be signing at this point and to be blunt Arsenal aren't in a position to be signing ready-made world-class stars because they're not in Europe and they're in quite clear decline so you need to buy young players who will improve and Odegaard for me fits that mould perfectly and I think could end up being one of the signings of the season in the Premier League not just Arsenal. It's previously mentioned Simon and we all know that Sam's a Odegaard purist, but Mikel Arteta also seems to be along those lines, doesn't he? Because he obviously got him in in January, put a lot of faith in him, and as as we as we know, the performance is actually in, uh, the results at least improved towards the end of the season. What what do you think Arteta saw in him, and what what do you think made him then go back and and ask for that deal to be made permanent? Yeah, I think Arteta is the only person who loves Odegaard more than Sam does but I mean the grin on his face today on on, on Zoom he doesn't often um, show masses of emotion Arteta but you could see the grin on his face when he's talking about Odegaard and the thing for me that makes him important to the team is he's not really and this is probably why he sometimes doesn't get lauded that much on social media he's not really the man who's going to be chiming in with loads of goals and assists he's quite often the player who's playing the pass before that um, I think back to that West Ham game, I think he didn't have any assists, but everyone watching that game saw how he run the game. I think he was the second assist to all the goals. Um, and where I feel Arsenal break down, whether they didn't have him in the team, is I just used to find there'd be the sort of midfield two sitting, which would be, you know, Xhaka and Party or against Brentford, Xhaka Lekonga. And there just seems to be this vast amount of space between them and the forwards. And I think Odegaard is so good at linking those midfield two and the forward players, and that's where he's, his best value is. And Smith-Rowe does it as well, but I think not as well as Odegaard. He is an enabler. He is a glue-type player. 
and things can just filter through him. And I think having him and Smith Rowe on the pitch will also help Arsenal having two creators. I think it's too much to to burn on one player. You don't normally see teams play with a set number 10. They have different options. So I think that will help. And I, I think it was a no-brainer, really. I think the fee, 30, 35 million pounds, is very good. I think I remember on loan, it was being talked about all the start of the summer, it was going to be 50 million, 60 million. So to get them for that, I think they've done well. And uh, it's a good piece of business. Ideally, would have been done earlier, but I think circumstances dictated it had to had to play out like this. Yeah, I think you, you hit on it there about the enabling kind of thing. I think the idea will be to get him into that team and you'll see the goals increase for, for the players in that team around him rather than he's, he's not going to score 15 goals a season. Is he? He's not that kind of player. I suppose if you look at players who played in that number 10 role recently for Arsenal, he's not, he's not an Aaron Ramsey, is he? He's not going to weigh in with goals himself. But the, the premise is you get him in there to enable, as you say, those goal scorers in the team to, to get better chances. And you look at how they struggled last year at times to break teams down. In that regard, and I think Arteta even touched on it this morning, that, that he has what I think Arteta's called a unique talent that he was looking to add to that team. So Sam, does it, does it, is he now first choice? Is he one of those names that is going to be on the team sheet if he's fit, regardless of who they're playing or, or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, with Arteta, there's always an element of uh, game by game, depending on the opponent. But I, I would say so, yeah, I mean, he's certainly going to start more than uh, more games in the eleven than on the bench, um, but I, I just wanted to add as well. I think there's this is this is this is probably not the main standout quality, obviously, of Odegaard. But there's also an element that he's quite useful defensively for two reasons. One, because he's very good at pressing and leading the press, and that was something that really jumped out in his first few games last year, when he was pretty much telling Aubameyang when and where to press, which is quite striking given Odegaard just arrived, 22 years old, and Aubameyang's obviously the club captain. So that's a good sign. And also, he's so controlled in possession and tidy on the ball that he, he keeps it, he keeps it under pressure and he absorbs pressure. So in, in, in a moment of panic and fluster, and we all know that Arsenal get into those moments quite frequently, you can give him the ball and he'll keep hold of it because his, his control in tight spaces is very good and he can play a safe pass and, and work his way out of trouble with his quick feet. So there's, there's the element of... of yeah, making Arsenal, I think, a bit tougher to beat as well as making them more creative going forward. And what I would say as well is that I think it's fair to say that Pepe and Aubameyang both played their best football last year when Odegaard was in the team. He certainly helped to get the best out of Pepe. And I think you think back to, for example, some of the Europa League games, the one they played in Rome against Benfica, I think, when Odegaard played Aubameyang like three or four really nice through balls, which were all missed. But that kind of service was something that Aubameyang was totally missing uh, in the first half of the season. So he is a good player in his own right. He helps them defend better and he helps get the best out of their existing strikers and wingers. So by that measure, I think it's all round an exceptionally good signing. Yeah, I don't really see this, this signing having any kind of negativity, really. Like It's a position they wanted to improve. It's a player that they know. You know, there's, there's no re And it's a quite a good deal. As Simon mentioned, it looks like they're going for bet better value than they would have done earlier in the window. I think the only thing oh, I would say on oh, that, we, sorry, you're, not, Mark, you're going to be negative about Martin Odegaard. Surely not. No, 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 no. no the only way. thing I would say, if if somebody was trying really hard to find a negative, you would say, will this affect Emil Smith Rowe's game time? That would be the one thing you'd say. You know, could that be a long term problem? But as as Simon says, it helps Smith Rowe. You need someone there alongside him, and also they played quite a few games last year alongside each other with Smith Rowe went out to the left and Odegaard sort of faded right. So they're sure they can work um, on that front. So, 
yeah, I don't particularly subscribe to that view, but I can I can see why others might think that. Conversely, I think we talk about the positivity of the Odegaard signing. There's a lot of negativity surrounding the imminent arrival of Aaron Ramsdale. Um, Arteta spoke about him relatively freely in the press of this morning, which suggests to us, obviously, it's, it's pretty much wrapped up. My understanding, the club hoped to announce a deal on Saturday and he could even be involved against Chelsea. I'd you'd imagine on the bench, but who knows? Um, do you understand that reaction? Is, is, is it a reaction you'd expect? Um, yes, to, to, to an extent, yes. I think the fee feels very high for a player who, I think it's fair to say, has never, in the last two years of the Premier League, it's never really looked like a world-class goalkeeper. So I can understand absolutely the concerns and the fact that he's been relegated in three of the last four seasons with different clubs. And the fact that, for example, there were games last year for Sheffield United when he was not part of the problem. He was part, sorry, he was not part of the solution, but he was part of the problem for Sheffield United. So I can absolutely understand all of that. And I can see why some fans are concerned, especially because we know that Arsenal are looking at Andre Onana at the start of the summer, who's clearly far further along in his development and would have been far cheaper. But at the same time, and I did a piece in today's Telegraph, which uh, you could read online, subscribe to read online, um, about sort of trying to find a, a reasoned analysis of the Ramsdale situation. And a couple of points I would make is that at 23 years old, he was the second youngest regular Premier League goalkeeper last season, which essentially, so Ilian Melier was the only one younger than him. So essentially there's a lot of room to grow and it's quite rare for someone of that age to have played so much in the top flight. I think if you look at even the likes of Edison and Allison, the top goalkeepers in the league, I don't think they were doing hugely impressive things at the age of 23. So there's clearly room to grow. Uh, the other thing is that he's homegrown, which is obviously extremely valuable. And the third factor is that he's apparently, by all accounts, I don't know him at all, but by all accounts, an extremely good lad. And that matters. There's Arsenal are actively trying to sign people who fit in and have a certain type of character. Odegaard fits that, and as I say, by all accounts, Ramsdale does too. So, yeah, there's huge pressure on him to develop into a goalkeeper capable of playing for a top team. There's huge pressure on Arteta to help that happen and on Iñaki Kana to help that happen. But there's no reason to think at this stage that he can't do it. It's just time will tell whether he can or not, I think. Yeah, I think that that area of the pitch for Arsenal in the, in the past couple of years, really since Mikel came in, been a bit of a shit show, really, hasn't it? In terms of Burnt was always always going to be the first choice. Burnt Leno was always considered to be the first choice. He got injured. It was at Brighton, wasn't it, when he got injured? And yeah. all of a sudden, everyone was panicking because Martinez was going to be playing. We don't need to go through the story. We know he had a great end of the season. They opted to sell him. 20 million quid. Then he goes on and has that storming season. And there's questions asked, especially when you look at the replacement that was brought in in terms of Alex Runnison, who, as we all know, He's never going to be the Arsenal number one. But but Simon, talking about the number one, is this now, this signing, put Mikel in a difficult position when you've got a squad that obviously needs improvements, but he's got two expensive goalkeepers, if that makes sense. He, he hasn't got an obvious first-choice goalkeeper anymore, has he? Mm. And it's um, it's not really this sort of luxury a club in Arsenal's position can afford to do. It's the sort of thing, you know, Chelsea and the Manchester Cities of these worlds have where they have two 
expensive, decent goalkeepers vying for the number one shirt, particularly because Arsenal don't have the European games to rotate. I think it, if Arsenal had the Europa League or even the Conference League, um, it'd be quite easy to say to Ramsdale or Leno, probably Ramsdale, say, look, ease yourself in, play all these games midweek. Then by January time, we'll take a look at it. If I mean, For that fee, Ramsdale basically has to become the club's number one, really. You don't sign a player for that to be number two. I think it's a question of when or if he becomes number one. This is without knowledge of, of what's going to, of the situation, but I can see it whereby, you know, these going up to January, I think it could be a bit of back and forth where some, you know, play some Carabao, they sort of rotate a bit. But I think by January, I, I would feel like it'd be a time to maybe move Leno on or this, Leno will want to move on, particularly with uh, that Qatar World Cup being what, 10, 11 months away from then. And whether he goes and Arsenal bring in another loan keeper to get them through to the summer. Um, but it's not it's not sustainable to have this Arsenal simply because they don't have the games. Um, and as for the as for Ramdale on the fee, uh, yeah, the fee is a bit too high, I think. Reminds me a lot of when Everton signed Jordan Pickford uh, 2017. Well, he was the same age. I think he was 23 at the time and he was the third most expensive goalkeeper in history. And I remember everyone there, eyebrows a bit raised. Again, same thing, came from a lower Premier League club, made to step up. And he was a bit up and down, but he's now developed into a decent goalkeeper. And I think if Ramsdale can follow a similar trajectory to Pickford, I think Arsenal will have done well. But I think Pickford has shown that there's going to be some bumps in the road. And I just hope um, there's a bit of tolerance towards Ramsdale for that. Yeah, that's the thing, is Oh, Mark, that's twice I've cut you off here. Oh, no, no there's a <laughs> there's a theme this summer of not shopping for now, but shopping for the next three or four years. Um, I, I've I'm writing a piece for it today, which again hopefully be available on the website later. But um, I'm liking it, likening it to basically when you go to Sainsbury's and do your big shop. So you know you like you can pop in and get your your meal for a couple of nights and, and your breakfast. Which is what I do. I, I live by that rule, whereas Simon can vouch for what about your Yeah, you're about big shop, batch cooking. You're a big shop kind of guy. So you go you go in and you plan, what, three or four weeks ahead, Simon? Maybe not that far ahead, but, you know, I've probably got the next 10 days, two weeks, given the current wow. climate, buy, buying, buying all How the you know what you want? How do you know what you want? I just know what, I know what I want and I know what I like and I know I'm going to want that in 10 days' time. It's a bit like how big, is your, how big is your freezer? This is ridiculous. What are the logistics here? Uh, oh, it's big enough. It's big enough. Could do with a bigger one, but... Hmm. Anyway, so uh, Arsenal <laughs> essentially... Uh, it's the content people want. Yeah, I, I Time is like chest Arsenal, freezer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Arsenal are essentially stocking their freezer at the moment uh, in the hope and the expectation that the likes of Lokonga, White, Ramsdale, Odegaard, all become world-class Champions League level players within the next two to three years. So I wonder, and I don't know this for fact, and I've not had this information at all, so it's just my own thinking. I wonder if this is almost spending next year's budget and January's budget at the same time as now. I think that's a fair a fair theory to put forward. Obviously, lots of things will affect that. COVID, where they finish this season and sales, for example. But as a loose rule, it feels like they're going, right, this is the summer to bring in the future. And yeah, I think Ramsdale certainly fits into that mould. They're shopping in Waitrose, though. They're, they're spending some serious cash. And they're not in the reduced to clear section either. They are full hog, organic, yeah, but the homegrown. Issue, the issue with Waitrose is how expensive everything is. Yeah, and, that's and, it. I know. And if you want longevity, you know, that's why Mikel goes to Iceland, isn't it? Mm. But it's better, than, it's better than nipping to M&S for your bits, because that's just only grandma's who shop there. 
you can't, you can't do a proper shop in a minute. We're going to have to agree to disagree on this and move on, aren't we, lads? Um... <laughs> We said earlier that Ramsdale potentially could even be involved against Chelsea, whether that start, I doubt he'd start, would he, probably on the bench. But that Chelsea game itself, after what happened on Friday night, will any Arsenal fans have any sort of confidence going into Sunday? We've got Lukaku potentially making his debut on the back of winning the Champions League, the Super Cup. They look quite good against Palace on Saturday, I thought, Chelsea as well. Simon, do you have any kind of words that could cheer up any Arsenal fans uh, listening to this on their way to the stadium? Well, I had the same feeling before both the Chelsea games last season because <laughs> the first one was that Boxing Day game and Arsenal were on a miserable run and they turned it around and the second one was when Chelsea were marching towards you know the top four in the Champions League and Arsenal got a result in both games so that I think um, should give fans some hope. I think the fact that the Emirates is full could play to Arsenal's advantage if they get the crowd behind them, if they start the game well, if they don't, we know what the Emirates could be like. Uh, it's going to be key for me how he sets up. I, I think he's got a match Chelsea with a back three. I think that's worked best for Arsenal in the past. I can't see how you can go against Lukaku with just Mary and, um, and Ben White. I think you, you've got to have a third centre-back in there for a game like this. That, for me, will be the interesting thing, whether he matches up. But if it was me, I think I would do that. I think I would go with a back three and, and match Chelsea. Yeah, it would also help Ben White, wouldn't it? Because I think we saw last Friday he struggled in that four, didn't he, against Ivan Tony? And with all due respect to Tony, obviously top goalscorer in the Championship last season, he's not yet at the level of someone like Romelu Lukaku, Sam. Would that be a massive concern for you that Lukaku's going to come into that team wanting to make a, a statement second debut for Chelsea? Yeah, um, to be blunt, yeah. I think the way, not just Tony, but also the way Brian and Buemo at Brentford caused quite a few problems just by virtue of being quite quick. Um, Mary sort of playing in what seemed to be boots wearing about 14 stone each um, and unable to turn. Uh, so yeah, that running in behind on counter-attacks, that would, that would concern me given that Arsenal are likely to try and push up the pitch and play a high line. I just say that, I mean, uh, when they beat them at Stamford Bridge, they didn't do that at all. They just sat deep and part of the bus, as you, if you will. Uh, so not necessarily going to play a high line, but you'd assume that's what Arteta would want to do, which is play a high line. Uh, and yeah, Lukaku is just, he's got that aura about him now, 28 years old, Serie A winner, so many international goals. He just And he's arrived and he sort of seems to be accepting the responsibility of being the man and the guy and one of the absolute world-class of the forwards. He's going to want to make a statement and I do fear for the Arsenal backline a little bit. I don't think Ben White's attributes are best suited to stopping somebody like him. So maybe playing in the back three, as you say, would help. And funny enough, I think Gabriel would probably be better against Lukaku because he'd get into a fight with him and he'd quite, I think he'd quite like that and it'd be quite rough and tumble. Um, whereas I don't think Mario would win that fight. I don't think Mario would win a race either, which, uh, yeah, would concern me as an Arsenal fan. But, you know, it's early days. Chelsea have... Chelsea have Got, had a slightly strange preseason with the European Super Cup and having about four different squads worth of player on their on their books, so they're not at their absolute best at the moment. So maybe it's a good time to play them now rather than in a couple of months. Yeah, I agree. It's it's, it's with Lukaku. I mean, being the lean, fit, healthy man that I am myself, he does seem <laughs> to have he does seem to have been. He looks a lot more trim than he did in those Manchester United days when he he just seemed to 
to get to bulk out almost too much, didn't he? But having looked at him into Milan and seen him talking to the press in the last couple of days, he looks ready for it, and it, it's definitely going to be a concern. Maybe if you're Aaron Ramsdale, you, you happily put off your debut until uh, West Brom in the in the Carabao Cup on on Wednesday night. Um, Sam, you've got your hand up. Talk to me. I can say on Ramsdale because he's come from a team which basically plays long ball football, doesn't pass it out. It's quite a big culture shift for him to suddenly get used to the demands of Arteta's style. So I just can't see him playing. I mean, I, I, in a way, I'd even be surprised if he played against West Brom next week, just because it's going to be such a big turnaround for him tactically in his own mind. So yeah, I, would just, I just cannot see him playing in the Premier League for at least a, a three or four weeks, at least. Arsenal signed third choice goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale there. So maybe we'll see uh, Runnison, <laughs> maybe see Runnison at West Brom next week, which will at least make it a worthwhile trip for me and Simon. Arteta wasn't actually asked too much about Odegaard in the press this morning. He said, I think we agreed there were some interesting lines emerging, especially on the issues around these COVID cases that saw Aubameyang, Lacazette, Willian and Runnison there miss Brentford game. Aubameyang, Willian potentially could play some part on Sunday. It's, it, it, it's a weird situation, isn't it? Because obviously the club doctor makes the decision on, on whether we are told, whether that information is put out there about COVID. But what a horrible way to start the season. It seems like Arsenal were lost. Arsenal and COVID currently go hand in hand. You know, we, we saw it with Arteta when it first started and the training ground being locked down. It's just not the right way you want to go into a new season, is it, Simon? No, and I mean, it's a good start for the documentary. I can already imagine those opening scenes of them sort of frantically testing players and, you know, sweating on the bus. Is the game going to go ahead and all this sort of stuff? But yeah, just another thing for Arteta to have to manage and deal with. Um, and it, I, I slightly commend them for not coming out after the game and, you know, throwing all these excuses and explanations. But perhaps, you know, they should have explained this earlier and we would have had, you know, maybe a bit more, certainly the fans might have had a bit more sympathy for what the team were dealing with in the build-up to the game and a bit more context and understanding of what they went through. I know it's difficult, particularly with medical confidentiality and everything, but um, I just feel like if we'd known a bit more about what, what was going on, that, that perhaps we could have reflected that in the way we reported it, but that's that's another story. As for Arteta, yeah, how they react from that. Um it's going to be interesting over these two games because I really felt like they lacked um, a proper focal point against Brentford with Balogun, I think, was taught a bit of a lesson in what it's like playing in the Premier League as a centre-forward. I thought he got bullied by the, the Brentford centre-backs and no Bamiang, no Lacazette is a real blow. Um, and it also highlights to us, I think, how this is probably going to happen throughout the season, isn't it? I think we're going to have cases where clubs are missing players and the dealing without you know, certain members of the squad and it's how they react to it. But uh, it's not an ideal start at all for Arteta. I think I think it's probably worth making clear to people listening who don't quite understand this and, and wouldn't be expected to understand it, so that's not at all a, a dig. It's just with COVID, due to medical confidentiality, as media, we cannot report that somebody has COVID without express permission from, in this case, the club or the individual. And that's different. I don't 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 ask me why, but it's different for things like a calf injury or a hamstring problem. It's it's just a whole different kettle of fish. So, for those of us, for example, who knew that the COVID situation was going on, we couldn't report it. But then, that when it's not reported by the club or or made public by the club, 
it leads to all sorts of speculation and people saying, oh, well, this must be happening because of X, Y, Z. They're not playing because of X, Y, Z, especially during the transfer window. So it's interesting. I think that'll be a good thing to keep an eye on as the sort of season progresses, how quickly clubs are or how keen clubs are to make these points clear, saying he's got COVID and he's not, because it's a difficult thing to, to talk about, especially if someone's suffering from it quite badly. A player might not want to talk about it or reveal that they've got it or, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why you wouldn't want to publish that and as media we cannot due to this confidentiality rules do that um, for them so so yes it's an interesting one for us um and i had another point to make that was going to be very interesting oh yes here it is um <laughs> what, something about what freezers what well, yeah exactly. something about odegaard odegaard or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a morning i'm having uh but yes no so it's quite interesting this year so obviously uh last season there were all sorts of government restrictions on all of us, stopping us spreading the virus, going to big events, nightclubs, et cetera, et cetera. Now that those restrictions are over, that means that the players are also free to do what they want, nightclubs, see what they want, have massive you know, parties or whatever. They, they can do that. There's nothing stopping them doing that. So the clubs can advise them to be careful and say, please do not spend your entire weekend in Kingston Prism, for example, but they can't, they can't stop them because that would be sort of a restriction of their movement, which seems totally unfair. So it'll be interesting to see going forward how much it does spread in football and what clubs end up trying to do about this. Because you could just lock them all up in, a, in their houses and say, just like last season, you're not allowed out, so that, not allowed to see anyone. But that strikes me as quite unfair and something that wouldn't get a good reaction from quite a lot of players. So yeah, it's a tough one and it will be interesting this year because I think this year, in a weird way, be more problematic than last year for COVID. Time now for the Arsenal Beat quiz. Art de Roche set a high standard last week with 8 out of 10. A uh, quick reminder, we have five general knowledge Arsenal questions and then five on our panellists selected specialist subjects. Simon, who is already flying the flag for the Arsenal Beat in our fantasy Premier League, uh, he's picked Jose Antonio Reyes for his own round, but we start as ever with five Arsenal questions. Simon, are you ready? Yes, as I'll ever be. You look very ready. That'll be that bag bowl you warmed up from two weeks ago. It was announced this morning that Arsenal had signed Martin Odegaard and that he would wear the number eight shirt for Arsenal, but who was the last permanent Arsenal player to wear it? Aaron Ramsey. Correct. How many matches did Freddie Jumberg manage between Unai Emery's sacking and the appointment of Mikel Arteta? Four, six, or eight? Oh, before you said it, I thought six. I'm going to stay with six. Correct again. Who has scored more goals for Arsenal? Dennis Bergkamp or Vivian Miedermeyer? Bergkamp, just. Correct. Dennis Bergkamp, 120. Viv Miedermeyer, 93. Arsenal play their first home game of the new season on Sunday. Last year, the first Premier League visitors to Emirates Stadium were West Ham. Arsenal won 2-1, but who scored the late winner? Lacazette. Oh, give it a bit of that. It was time to give Eddie and Ketia a bell. Oh, um, wow, wow, we won. Wow. <laughs> how many times <laughs> did Thierry Henry win the Premier League Golden Boot? Oof. Um, twice. He won it four times. That's three, a respectable three points from the general knowledge round. God, he was good at football. 
Right. <clears throat> you watch the breaking news, Jerry or Regal at football. That's my analysis piece done, right? <laughs> right. Jose Antonio Reyes, and we go again. At what age group did Reyes, alongside the likes of Fernando Torres and Andreas Iniesta, win the European Championships with Spain in 2002? Um, under 19s? Correct. Good little right, bit of exactly. mental arithmetic. Me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> His first Arsenal goal was, in fact, an own goal against which team in the League Cup? Middlesbrough. Correct. His first goals at the right end came in a 2-1 win over Chelsea in which round of the FA Cup? Oh, um, February time. So it would have been uh, fifth round. Three out of three. We're going well here. Bear in mind, I gave all these to Sam earlier and he got about one. Um, <laughs> Reyes was sent off in the FA Cup final as Arsenal beat Manchester United on penalties in what year? Uh, Arsenal beat United on pens, 2005. And here we go for the ha- for the for the full round. The first time, no one's got five out of five yet, so no pressure whatsoever. Reyes joined Real Madrid on loan in 2006, but which player went the other way in a season-long deal? Julio Baptista, the beast. Done it. Here we go, the beast, <laughs> the Arsenal beast, Superb. Simon Collings. I mean, spurred on by his frozen foods. Yeah. Simon Collings. I think you matched Art there, didn't you? you? got three. Yeah, there you go. So you and Art now yeah. sit sit astride at the top of the leaderboard on eight out of ten. Well done there, mate. That was an impressive performance. Very good. I'm, I'm surprised at that. I thought you did well there. I, the Reyes ones, when you picked Reyes last night, I was like, oh, he's going to struggle. But well done. Very good. Yeah. Nick Ames really in the mud now, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, that, he, picks a whole, <laughs> he picks a whole season for his specialist subject, which I think is quite difficult, isn't it? I think we're learning the specialist subjects, what it's all about. But, um, no pressure when you're up, Sam, and I've not gone yet either, so that's going to be fun. Um, if Sam's specialist subject isn't Martin Odegaard, I'm absolutely <laughs> shocked. Simon, just start writing the Odegaard and Mo on any questions now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> With Simon doing really well there, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, We will see you on Monday where we look back over the performance against Chelsea and also have a quick look at how the Arsenal women have fared so far in their qualification campaign for the Women's Champions League. Thanks for joining me, Sam. Thanks, Simon. And we'll see you next time. Thank you very much.